You're listening to the Quince podcast. Widening the ambit of an already existing anti-cattle slaughter bill, the BS Yadurappa led Karnataka government on 10th December passed a controversial legislation to enforce a blanket ban on cattle slaughter in the state. Among other things, the contentious Karnataka Prevention of Slaughter and Preservation of Cattle Bill of 2020 widens the definition of cattle to include goat, cow, calf of a cow and bull, bullock, and he or she buffalo. End quote. And secondly. It provides for a rigorous punishment for those held guilty of slaughtering, smuggling, or illegally transporting cattle with three to seven years of imprisonment, along with steep fines ranging from rupees fifty thousand to rupees five lakhs. Before tabling the bill, Karnataka Animal Husbandry Minister Prabhu Chavan travelled to Uttar Pradesh and Gujarat to study and gather information on how to formulate. "Quote unquote," the most stringent anti-cow slaughter legislation, but the law that has been approved raises several questions. Is this level of punishment justified at a time when there has been a marked rise in cases of cow vigilantism over mere suspicion of beef consumption and illegal cattle transportation? Does this law abet cow vigilantism? Does this ignore food habits and livelihoods? And most importantly, what does it all say about the Karnataka government's intentions? For this podcast, we spoke to Mr. A. Narayana, a political analyst; Maitri Krishnan, advocate with Manthan Law; Vidya Dinkar, a social activist; and Dr. Sylvia Karpagam. You're tuned in to the Big Story, the podcast where we dissect the headline-making news for you. And I'm your host, Shalbury. Ahead of the 2018 assembly election, the BJP manifesto had promised for prohibition of cow slaughter in Karnataka. But as mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, the state already had an anti-cattle slaughter bill, which is the Karnataka Prevention of Cow Slaughter and Cattle Preservation Act of 1964. This restricted the slaughter of cows, calves, and sheep buffaloes, but allowed for the slaughter of bulls, bullocks, and buffaloes, provided that they were aged above 12. or were no longer fit for breeding or did not give milk and the maximum punishment provided was 6 months imprisonment and a fine of rupees 1000 in the year 2010 however when the bjp was in power in the state it passed a bill with an increased punishment which included up to 7 years of jail and fines of up to rupees 1 lakh that bill too had removed distinctions between cow and cattle and had made slaughter of all forms of cattle punishable but that was repealed by the congress led siddaramaiah government in 2014 as soon as it came to power this recent bill is more or less a revised version of the 2010 bill but the additional offenses and the dramatic increase in punishment has turned it into one of the most stringent laws against cow slaughter in any indian state the law only exempts buffaloes that are about 13 years from this ban slaughtering by authorized veterinary officer in the interest of public health or if the animal is suffering will be permitted the sale and purchase of cattle for the purpose of slaughter within karnataka and outside the state is also prohibited but transporting cattle for the purpose of agriculture or animal husbandry will be permitted but is the level of punishment justified advocate maitri krishnan puts the law into context for us what we need to see is the manner in which the penalty has been dramatically increased earlier the punishment was a maximum of about uh, was a maximum of 6 months the present bill prescribes the penalty for slaughter at minimum of 3 years and maximum of 7 years and for transportation and sale or purchase to a minimum of 3 years and maximum of 5 years along with this it also provides 
for a minimum fine of fifty thousand and a maximum fine of five lakhs. The offences are made cognizable, which means they an arrest can take place without a warrant, and the abatement of an offence carries the same punishment. Just to put the penalties in a in a context, Section three hundred four A provides for punishment for death caused due to rash and negligence as two years, and this is of a human being. Whereas sale of cattle has a minimum punishment of three years, and it is in this context that we really need to understand the way in which the penalty has been so dramatically increased. The bill was not only tabled without prior notice and passed without debate, as the Congress alleges, but it was also passed with a lot of pomp and show. Cars were brought in to the Secretariat, and Mr. Chavan performed a gau puja for them. But why was the bill passed with so much urgency at such a time? What does it indicate about the government's intention? A Narayana, a political analyst, says that the government's action suggests that it was not just about passing the bill, but about making a statement. This government is more more pro-Hindu than anyone thought. How much pro-Hindu it has been so far. This becomes clear uh, in the kind of urgency that the government has shown uh, in getting. the the bill passed apparently the government made a promise to the opposition that uh, it would be deferred the bill will be deferred and then they went back on that promise the government went back on that promise and uh, even before circulating the copies of the bill to the members it was introduced and passed so uh, this shows that the government was uh, uh, in a great hurry and that hurry could be as well because of some kind of pressure uh, to uh, have it done here and now and the other thing is that the bjp wanted to make it a big show it was not just the question of the contents of the bill but also the optics of it which mattered to them as much as the content uh, you might have noticed that uh, a go puja or a cow puja was performed outside the vidhan sabha to mark the occasion all the bjp legislators were clad in saffron they chanted jai shri ram these are not the the you know this this is not how generally a bill is passed this kind of paraphernalia does not um, accompany the passage of the of any bill right so what does uh, this suggest it suggests that uh, you know they they really wanted to make a statement uh, uh, not only strongly but also uh, uh, in a very colorful way but i think a more uh, important thing here is not the bill per se because it's just a just a few amendments to an existing law but uh, a particular provision in the bill which uh, which uh, suggests that no action shall be taken against cow protectors ah yes protection of cow protectors among the several questionable aspects of the bill this is a big one the bill has provisions to protect persons who are quote unquote acting in good faith since 2014 the heightened communal rhetoric by bjp leaders and campaigns against beef consumption also has coincided with a stark rise in cases of cow vigilantism in the name of cow protection at the mere suspicion of beef consumption or smuggling although the ncrb has no database on violence related to cow vigilantism in a 2018 report 
India spent found that almost 86 incidents of cow-related violence were reported since 2012 in India. According to the report, Muslims were target of 52% of violence around cow vigilantism issues and comprised 84% of the deaths in 60 of these incidents. A 2018 report on the Hindu also said that while Uttar Pradesh recorded the highest number of incidents of cow vigilantism as well as deaths due to violence in the south, Karnataka registered the highest number of these incidents. So in the name of protecting persons who are quote unquote acting in good faith or cow protectors, does this law abet cow vigilantism instead of checking such crimes? Vidya Dinkar is social activist Vezen. So let's assume that the government of Karnataka is under a lot of pressure because we've seen uh, that there've been so many reports in the press about Akrama Gau Sagata which means the uh, illegal um cow trafficking that has been going on in the state is supposedly uh, a pressure point for the government to act fine there's a demand or the government thinks it needs to act let us also keep good faith in the government and assume that they have set out to solve a problem uh the problem was that if there was an existing act and if you thought that cattle trade was still going on um illegally then you need to actually beef up your existing um, law uh, being implemented in the on the ground so execution of the law had to be acted upon and then we also know that there has been this huge amount of cow, uh, cow vigilantism and people who were taking the law into their own hands people who were extra constitutional basically goons who were using uh, the uh, fig leaf of the law to carry on their own uh, you know illegal activities and beating up people and then trying to position themselves as um, you know police persons on the ground so we needed to tackle this group of goons now i do not see anywhere in this new bill um a solution for this problem if you go to section 16 and 17 and you will see that protection of persons acting in good faith so they have some kind of impunity no suit prosecution or other legal proceedings can be instituted against the competent authority or any person exercising powers under this act for anything which is in good faith done or intended to be done under this act or the rules made thereof so not just the competent authority but just about any person that wants to aggregate power to himself and 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 get there on the ground stop someone who might be uh, you know taking his own cattle somewhere or have legitimate papers even under this act or the older act to transport this cattle can be just stopped on the uh, on the on the way anywhere and um, and uh, made short sh- i mean get the he gets the short end of the stick What is also equally concerning is how the law might be skewed in favor of the law enforcement officials. All offenses related to cow slaughter will be cognizable as it was in the case of the previous bills and in case of conviction all confiscated property including cattle vehicle premises all of that will be forfeited to the state government. Moreover, it gives the police unrestricted power to simply search on the basis of 
quote-unquote reason to believe that such a crime has been committed. So does it not risk violating privacy while increasing scope for misuse? Ms. Krishnan talks about the several dangers of this law and the ways that it violates fundamental duties. The law completely invades the fundamental right to privacy, even as it allows for search and seizure by a police officer not below the rank of a sub-inspector or a competent authority. Competent authority defines to mean a tasildar or a veterinary officer who has quote-unquote reason to believe that an offence has been committed. This term is obviously very vague. With the history of vigilantism, one can only imagine the manner in which the basic right of privacy is going to be violated with such a provision. The uh, murder of Mohammed Aklak, the manner in which four young Dalit uh, men were beaten and stripped in Una. In 2017 in uh, Karnataka, in Kundapura, Udupi, a marriage party of the Koraga community was stopped, family members were beaten, assaulted on the allegation that they had beef. So one can ima- only imagine the way in which lives are going to be destroyed by this kind of unbridled power and the kind of unimaginable havoc that is really going to be caused by it. This provision also has to be seen with the uh, another provision which actually provides that any action taken in good faith in furtherance of the act would be protected which means that in, you can have complete violation of the most basic right of privacy and your actions are and the actions of such a, a, a person is going to be protected under this law this is absolutely dangerous so what you know when we look at this one thing that i mean we need to see what does this law really do what is it effectively doing see the bill says that it is being passed in furtherance of article 48 of the constitution but article 48 cannot be seen in isolation it has to be seen in the context of all the other directive principles of state policy Article 38 requires that the state shall strive to promote the welfare of the people by securing a social order in which justice, social, economic and political shall inform all institutions of a national life. Article 46 provides that the state shall promote with special care the educational and economic interests of weaker sections of the people and in particular that of the scheduled caste and scheduled tribe and protect them from social injustice and all forms of exploitation. Similarly, Article 47 provides that the state shall raise the level of nutrition and the standard of living of its people and the improvement of public health. And this law is in com- is completely opposite to what is required of the state if it were to follow these directive principles. It's also necessary for us to look at the fundamental duties that are prescribed under Article 51. And I just want to give three of them to uh, show the manner in which this law is completely in violation of that as well. It provides that it is, a duty, it is a fundamental duty to promote harmony and the spirit of common brotherhood among all people of India, transcending religious diversities. It mandates that is the, it, is the, it is a fundamental duty to value and preserve the rich heritage of our composite culture and, and the eating of beef is part of our composite culture. To, it also provides that it is a fundamental duty to develop the scientific temper, humanism and the spirit of inquiry and reform. And what we saw yesterday by the legislators is a clear abandonment of these fundamental duties. Finally, the actions of the law in infringing upon the dietary preferences of the people is a clear violation of the fundamental right of a person to decide and determine their own autonomy, what they're going to eat, what they're going to what what dietary preferences they prefer or, or they want. That is being invaded by, by the government. But now keeping the legal aspect aside, this bill is also said to be anti-farmer and might have some damaging impacts on the livelihoods as well. 
selling and buying cattle is part of agricultural practices as well as animal husbandry, which the provisions in this bill might affect. And there's another long-term impact yet that the government doesn't seem to have considered. The impact on health and nutrition levels among children and the poorer masses. Sylvia Karpagam, a public health doctor, talks about how this move by the government is short-sighted. So some of the uh, few points that I want to highlight is that um, I'm a I'm a medical doctor, so I'm looking at it from a public health uh, point of view, um, and uh, the kind of statistics of uh, um, nutrition in Karnataka are pretty alarming. I think any government which has the welfare of its citizens, particularly the most vulnerable, that is the children, the pregnant and lactating mothers, the elderly, the people who are sick. Um, especially in the context of COVID and the fact that, uh, uh, you know, the comorbidities make people more at risk of the complications of COVID um, and enough evidence to show that nutrition uh, significantly affects uh, your response uh, to the COVID uh, uh, infection. Uh, instead of the government looking at that aspect of it and focusing on how to uh, improve the nutritional indicators of the state, they are in fact uh, hell-bent on uh, removing one of the cheapest and best sources of nutrition uh, for a large group of people. Um, looking at the statistics uh, in Karnataka, according to the National Family Health Survey, that is a fourth round, uh, we have uh, almost 39 to 40% of children, uh, specifically from the scheduled caste and scheduled tribe uh, community, who have stunting and undernutrition of almost 39 to 40%. And uh, stunting is basically the child is not reaching the height that the child is supposed to reach for the age. And undernutrition is the child is not reaching the expected weight for the child's age. We also have anemia of almost 56% of children even before they start their school uh, life, that is even before 6 years of age. Anemia is one of the biggest causes of uh, uh, postpartum hemorrhage in uh, pregnant women and it is one of the biggest contributor to maternal deaths. And as uh, most of us might know, um, a lot of this anemia is nutritional. Um, and if you look at uh, uh, some of the best sources of uh, iron, uh, which is one of the important components of uh, um, to prevent anemia, it's um, animal source foods and particularly red meats. And beef is one of the cheapest um, and very good source of iron and a lot of other nutrients that is required for the body to make hemoglobin uh, to prevent anemia. So instead of looking at uh, you know, the serious consequences of nutritional deficiencies. It is really tragic that the government is looking at actually removing even some of the sources that are available to people. Uh, going to subsidize mutton, is it going to provide uh, lamb at uh, the same cost as beef? It's not going to do that. So it is, uh, it is basically an attack on people's cultural rights, on people's nutritional rights. And uh, um, also, um, we've seen what happens in Uttar Pradesh. In fact, when we were talking to some farmers, they said this is not a Hindu-Muslim issue. This The government is trying to make it appear as though Hindus are going to benefit and uh, somehow Muslims are going to be penalized. But it's actually also a farmer's issue. The farmers uh, need to sell um, their cattle to be able to procure new cattle 
to be able to sustain uh, you know dairy and the role of the cow is very organic uh, in the communities uh, the 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 relationship between the farmer and the cow it's not something that a policy maker or someone sitting in the government can just decide arbitrarily have they consulted the farmers had they consulted people whose livelihood depends on the cow or the um, you know on the beef industry the 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 arbitrary nature of this shows that there is very little consideration that the government is giving to people's actual needs if you like listening to this episode please subscribe to the big story playlist for episodic updates we'll have on apple google podcast spotify geo7 and most of the other popular podcast streaming platforms for other podcasts please log on to the quinn website and check out the podcast section for any feedback shoot an email to podcasts at the quinn.com thanks for listening log on to the quinn's website and check out our other podcasts 